Good morning. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, as we study your word today, I pray that you will teach us how to be more like the early believers. And I pray that you will reveal to us ways in which we can spread the gospel within our own context. Amen. Amen. Now, at the beginning of July, I was persuaded to go to Silchester to watch a group of Reading University students excavate the Roman baths over there. I wasn't sure whether walking around um, an ancient building site to look at a group of students digging around in a pile of rubble was really my thing. However, um, my husband and I were also treated uh, to a guided tour by one of their tutors who provided an interesting insight into the Roman way of life. It was fascinating to learn that uh, the people who visited the baths were not actually too dissimilar to many of us today who enjoy a weekend away in a luxury spa hotel. Um, For those of you who have been there, picture Nirvana Spa. Now, one of the things that really struck me was how evangelical the tutor was about the importance of her work and about uh, and also how much her excitement and her enthusiasm enabled us to engage with the Roman way of life and it made me think that through these archaeological digs and the stories that accompany them we're able to bring the past into the present And it also got me thinking about the story of Christianity, which we've been um, learning about over the past few weeks, which has also stood the test of time. However, unlike the Roman Empire, most of which is buried beneath a pile of earth, the story of Jesus Christ is still very much alive. Now, today's passage really highlights the incredible legacy that the believers left behind as they fulfilled Christ's commission to make disciples of all nations. And it also makes me think, what if? What if the apostles had not been obedient? Jesus Christ may have simply become another historical figure from the distant past, along with people like Julius Caesar or Plato or Socrates. And if Jesus Christ had become a historical figure, there would not be a future generation of disciples. And if there were no disciples and no Messiah, the Holy Spirit would not be universally available to everyone, in which case we would rewind to the old Testament. Now, today's passage also made me think about God's perfect timing within the sequence of events. How many of you have um, seen Back to the Future? Probably most of you. <laughs> or more recently, um, the film Yesterday. Many of you seen that? Yeah? Uh, so, both films um, deal with the ideas of what if. Now, in Back to the Future, Marty McFly travels back to 1955 from the 1980s 
uh, to the time when his parents first met. Now, he almost erases his existence from the world when he inadvertently gets in the way um, of the time when his, fir- his parents first get together. And likewise, in the film Yesterday, this deals with um, similar themes where the main character, Jack Malik, is knocked unconscious and wakes up the following morning in a world where certain things don't exist, like Coca-Cola and also the Beatles. Now, filmmakers love dealing with the concept of what if. And the reason why is because it is a very real dilemma. And I often wonder, what would I be doing now if I hadn't moved to Reading in 2001? What type of life would I be living now? So going back to our reading in Acts, what if the believers had not been persecuted? Would they have been scattered beyond Jerusalem into the surrounding areas of Judea, Samaria, and also beyond? Would we be worshipping here today in St. Matthew's? Probably not. The believers were challenged and persecuted for defying the Jewish authorities, but despite this... They were obedient and committed to spreading the gospel far and wide. Now, boldness in the face of adversity is a recurring motif throughout the Bible and has led to the spread of Christianity throughout the world from the moment that Christ was crucified. However, it's only through obedience and boldness that Christ's legacy will be fulfilled. If we don't take action as Christians, we will not enable others to enjoy a deep relationship with Christ on earth and eternal salvation. So in order to consider this a little bit more closely, I want to explore four of the key areas in the passage. The first one is the obedience of the apostles and the believers. And the second one is their incredible courage. The third one is the impact of their their obedience. And finally, the resulting joy that that was followed by conversion. Now, the the disciples' obedience is apparent in Luke 9, 1 to 11, when Jesus sends out his 12 disciples. He tells them to take nothing for the journey, absolutely nothing. No staff, no bag, no, no bread, no money, no extra tunic. And he also tells them they need to rely on the hospitality of the locals. Now, I'm not sure whether I would be quite so obedient if my husband, Andy, told me that we were going on holiday without making a reservation and um, that I had to travel light. I don't think that's a conversation that would go down particularly well in our household. By instructing his disciples to travel light, Jesus was making um, the disciples dependent on God's provision and keeping them focused on their purpose, which was to spread the gospel. He also told them to stay in one house until you leave, um, because by becoming reliant on their hosts, they were in a strong position to spend quality time forging relationships in order to persevere in their mission to bring 
people to Christ. Luke tells us that the apostles went from village to village, preaching the gospel and healing people everywhere. So it's clear from the very beginning of their ministry that they were completely committed to the task ahead. And it was through their obedience that the first part of Christ's commission, which was to make disciples of all nations, was coming to fruition. So the disciples obediently um, stepped out in faith, and as a result, they began to grow the church. Now, as well as um, obedience, the apostles and believers had to exercise considerable courage. I wonder, what is the bravest thing that you have ever done? For me, I think the bravest thing that I've done recently is probably visit my dental hygienist, because she's quite, quite mean with the dental floss. However, I think that fear is really insignificant, um, considering the courage of the early believers. As we move into Acts 8, we see a new wave of church growth as the apostles' ministry gains momentum through the Holy Spirit. Now, as a result of um, Peter's teaching and the apostles' miracles, the Lord added to them to the number of believers daily. And it's due to their success that they are faced with extreme opposition and resistance, which culminates in the stoning of Stephen, who was a relatively new believer at the time. Stephen's martyrdom was the beginning of a wave of brutal persecution. And it seems that quite often that when things are going well for us, Satan tries to get a foothold within our ministry and also their ministry as well. I mean, how many of you have um, experienced this? I know that there are times when I feel like I'm really going all out for God, things are going well, um, having some really good conversations with people, and then the following day everything seems to fall apart. And uh, this can become quite disheartening. However, this doesn't stop the believers. Instead, it almost empowers them. And this is because they are empowered through the Holy Spirit. It says in verse 6 that the believers preached the word wherever they went. Their courage enabled them to face adversity head on. In verse 5, Philip who was a newly converted Greek-speaking Jew, stepped out in boldness when he travelled to Samaria to preach the word there. Now, to appreciate the significance of his journey, I think we really need to understand a bit about the historical context um, of this place in Samaria. Now, in 722 BC, Samaria had undergone a time of civil unrest when it had been conquered by the king of Assyria. Now, this led to mass immigration. And the foreigners who settled in Samaria intermarried with the Jews. And so they became a mixed race known as the Samaritans. And these Samaritans were shunned by the Jews because the Jews themselves believed that they were completely 100% pure. So they really looked down on the Samaritans. Now, as a former Jew, Philip would have had to put his own past prejudices 
to one side. So clearly his conversion had changed his heart. And travelling to Samaria would also have placed him in a very dangerous position as the Jewish authorities, and Saul in particular, would undoubtedly be hunting him down in order to prevent the spread of Christianity. And Saul, we learn, in Acts 22, verse 4, was a powerful tyrant who persecuted followers of the way to their death, arresting men and women and throwing them into prison. He was an influential and ruthless killer who spared absolutely no one, neither men nor women. So we owe a lot to the first believers who risked everything so that we, today, can have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, the legacy of the early believers still exists today as Christians around the world are currently being persecuted for their faith. Open Doors, um, a charity that was set up to support persecuted, persecuted Christians, has reported that there are 245 million Christians being persecuted in the world today. And it was only a few months ago that a group of Christians were killed during an Easter Day service in Sri Lanka when the church was was bombed. But despite this threat of persecution, there are millions of Christians still boldly seeking ways to spread the gospel. Last year at New Wine, I went to listen to a speaker who had been invited by Open Doors to share her story about being imprisoned in North Korea. Her name was Hei Wu, and she had led a life filled with extreme tragedy. She's about 70 years old, barely five foot high, and very softly spoken. In fact, you wouldn't believe that she was a very, very brave and courageous woman who, who was all out for God. However, she had chosen to preach the gospel in one of the most dangerous places in the world. And it was actually a prison in North Korea. Now, we all know what North Korea is like today. And actually, being in a prison in that country would have been extremely dangerous. I just want to read to you her story, which um, can be found on the Open Doors website. It says, In 1997, in the midst of great famine in North Korea, Haywoo's daughter, who was in her mid-twenties, starved to death in her own home. Haywoo's husband escaped to China. He found God, but sadly he was caught by the secret police and six months later died in a North Korean prison camp. Haywoo said, I was shocked to hear that my husband had become a Christian, but instinctively I knew he had found the truth. Not long after this, um, Haywoo herself escaped to China and became a Christian through a series of events similar to those that had influenced her husband's journey to faith. She was then caught by the secret police, repatriated to North Korea and placed in a prison camp. 
She described the horrors of life in these prisons as being death so rampant that bodies would lay on the ground for three or four days without being cleaned up. Mental and physical abuse that would make you sick in the pit of your stomach. Every day was torture for Christians. Whilst in prison, God compelled Hewu to tell her fellow prisoners about Jesus. And so right there in the middle of a North Korean labour camp, a secret fellowship began. Hewu said, The Bible verses that I'd recall from memory gave the others hope. They also saw the Spirit at work in me. I stood out among the other prisoners because I helped them. Sometimes I shared my rice with the sick. Occasionally I washed their clothes too. God used me to lead five people to faith. I tried to teach them the little I knew about Jesus. I didn't have access to a Bible in the camp, but on Sundays and at Christmas, we met together out of the view of the guards. Usually that was in the toilet. There we held a short service. I taught them the Bible verses and songs that I knew. We sang almost inaudibly so that no one would hear us. Now, Heiwu risked everything to plant a church in a very, very dangerous country in, and in a prison toilet as well. And it's stories like Heiwu's that are both inspirational and challenging. Would we risk this much to share the gospel? My husband was really challenged this year at New Wine when um, he, he bumped into one of his work colleagues. His colleague was absolutely struck that, um, and in shock that um, Andy was at New Wine because he didn't realise that he was a Christian. My husband was absolutely mortified because he suddenly realised that he'd been such a poor witness to his colleague. And this actual colleague had only just come to faith. And the way he came to faith was, um, he was he's, he's going through a really, really difficult time. So he, he just decided to go for a bike ride one day. And um, whilst he's on, um, on his bike ride, he, he, um, he decided to just kind of take, take a break in the, fo- in the forest, got off his bike, and he stumbled across um, a, a note that was uh, attached to a Bible and um, was um, hidden in a, in a tree stump. And the, the, um, the, the note on the Bible um, read, I hope that this Bible will give hope to whoever finds it. Now, ironically, um, this, this man had some, some Christian friends. He also had Christian colleagues, but none of his Christian friends had ever spoken to him about Jesus. And I think this... This story really, really made, it made both Andy and I really think about you know, how seriously are we taking our Christian faith? Are we going out and, uh, and sharing it with others? And it's a real shame that this, you know, it took this, this moment where this man had to go out on a bike ride to, to find Christ when actually he could have shared his faith, you know, his friends could have shared their faith with him. It's only through obedience and boldness that Christ's commission can truly be fulfilled. 
So the third area that I want to look at in the passage is the impact of obedience and boldness. In the previous chapter, Stephen was martyred for his faithfulness. And it was because of his death that the church was scattered and began to grow. In addition, the passage says that Stephen's death had an impact on some godly men who were probably non-believing Jews. Interestingly, verse 2 tells us that these godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. Now, Jewish law prevented mourning for someone who had been executed, which implies that this mourning may have been a display of repentance by these godly men. Now, God is often at work when we least expect it. And it's really reassuring to think that Stephen's death wasn't in vain. Through our reading, we can also see God's timing is perfect. Immediately after Stephen's death, Philip's ministry in Samaria brought many people to faith. In verse 6, we are told that crowds paid close attention to what he said. He had a captive audience. He also performed signs and wonders. He healed cripples and drove out spirits. The Holy Spirit was truly at work in Samaria. Philip's success in Samaria was a result of Christ's earlier ministry, where Jesus invites the Samaritan woman to drink from the well of eternal life. And this reminds us that in order to be fruitful, we need to build on the legacy that was introduced by those who went before us. Saul's later conversion was also part of God's perfect timing and an example of how God can work within extreme circumstances. If we are obedient and boldly face our fears, anything is possible with God. And again, I'm reminded of the courage and the obedience of the 21st century persecuted Christians like Heiwu, who are following on from the early believers. Sometimes it looks like our ministry as Christians may be in vain. But who knows what good God is doing behind the scenes. And it's only when we look back that we can often see the impact And there is plenty of evidence of this as we study the Bible. So the final theme in the passage is the great joy that is experienced when people are brought to Christ. Now the word joy or rejoice or joyful occurs 430 times in the English Standard Version of the Bible. Compared with happiness, which only occurs ten times. Now, I think that the word joy implies an active, deep, and lasting happiness, whereas the word happy is much more passive and fleeting, often associated with contentment and satisfaction. In verse 8, we are told that there was great joy in that city. There is a real sense that the Holy Spirit is a powerful force when the evil spirits are released with shrieks. 
The Holy Spirit is clearly setting people free. And with this comes a deep and lasting joy. Paul talks about joy, the joy of being in a deep relationship with God in Romans chapter 5. Through our faith uh, and God's grace, we can rejoice in the hope and glory of God. We can also rejoice in our suffering because God has poured out his love through the Holy Spirit. If Philip had not been obedient and courageous, the people of Samaria would not have experienced God's grace and resulting joy of being in relationship with Jesus Christ. So I just want to finish by posing a few questions. Should we be more active in our ministry? Should we be stepping out in faith, obedience and boldness more often? Perhaps with a member of our family, somebody at work or even a close friend? Should we be leading people to faith so that they too can experience God's grace and the joy of being in relationship with Christ. Perhaps in a moment of silence, we could maybe just name somebody that we would like to be more open with in in the coming weeks. Heavenly Father, I pray that through your Holy Spirit, you will give us courage to step out in faith and obedience so that we can build on your commission to the early church. Father, reveal to us opportunities where we can perhaps engage in conversations about you with people in our families, friendship groups, or colleagues. I pray for a spirit of conviction and boldness so that we can bring people to lasting freedom and joy. We know that it's not going to be easy and at times we may be challenged or even persecuted for our beliefs. But help us to remember the words of Paul in Romans 5 that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope because you have poured out your love into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Was the music team come up to lead us in our next song before we share in the bread and wine of communion? I just wanted to focus for a moment on that great question that Emma posed at the beginning. What if? What if? What if each of us found that obedience and courage to share the good news of Jesus? What if we each found our niche where we could spread the gospel? What if each of us invited that person we kind of know we should have invited but we never got round to it. We've 
never quite dared to pluck up the courage. What if we told someone that Jesus is particularly interested in them? Let's stand and worship the Lord as we declare to him that we are living for his glory.